I believe in Christ, he is my king. With all my heart to him I'll sing. I'll raise my voice in praise and joy, in grand amens my tongue employ. Scriptures reveal the divine desires of the Lord in our behalf. Each of us should have a burning desire to search the scriptures diligently and daily to seek the will of the Lord in our life. Brothers and sisters, on very thin pages, thick with meaning, are some almost hidden scriptures. Hence, we are urged to search, feast, and ponder. If you are lonely, please know you can find comfort. If you are discouraged, please know you can find hope. If you are poor in spirit, please know you can be strengthened. If you feel you are broken, please know you can be mended. I think we have three really interesting chapters here because they kind of tie together and yet they're separate topics kind of. I find it really interesting that in verse one of chapter seven, Moroni kind of introduces it. Here's what I'm going to talk about. You know, he's it's a sermon. Well, Mormon is actually going to be talking about it. He's going to talk about faith, hope, and charity. And then as Mormon starts to teach it, he, he follows that formula, those three, and kind of layers it on in teaching how they're, how they're related. That first we have to have faith and then hope, and then we'll have charity for others. And I think that really the first part of this chapter is basically saying, how, how do you identify, how do you judge what's good and what's evil? And I think that that's kind of to help us understand in what should we put our faith? You know, where should we invest our time and energy in this faith, hope, and charity? How do you know what to follow? How do you know what to pursue? And I think he's very concise about that and saying, basically, look, if it makes you feel good, if it does good things, and not just like temporarily, but like if it promotes good behavior, good actions, then it's from the spirit. And if it, by your fruits, you shall know them. You know, if it does not uh, result in in good and bring to pass good things, then it's obviously evil. And that seems really like obvious or logical, but the way he says it is really, really clear, really concise. And, and I think it, in in verse 13, especially, that which is of God inviteth and enticeth to, go, to do good continually. Wherefore, everything which inviteth and enticeth to do good and to love God and to serve him is inspired of God. And if you look at your life, you know, there's probably things that um, clearly of God, inspired of God, and things that are probably not, you know. And I think it's really, really interesting that he he's able to just kind of <coughs> boil it down to its elements like that. I really liked one is maybe I've been so ignorant for so long, but I didn't realize that Mormon wrote these epistles. It was kind of like yeah. his last letters to his son. And in some of it, I see he speaks directly to us, like saying I, uh, in verse two of chapter seven, he says, I speak unto you, my beloved brethren. And then in other parts later on, we find out where he says, where he's speaking directly to Moroni. Right. Son, he's saying to you, my son, I would not commend them to the Lord, but I would commend you. 
and hope that you are saved. And I feel like this is very much very personal letters in kind of the last, if I could tell you the last thing I could ever tell, share with you, it would be, I can't be there or I can't give you advice for every situation, but I can tell you that there's a correct way of knowing if something is good and there's a correct way of knowing what's bad. And the thought that I had was, this also means that there's multiple sources for good things and bad things. Hence, we need a method of judging. Sometimes we think there's only one source. There's only one source of truth. And in, in, the es in essence, there is one source. It's Jesus Christ. But the methods come to us through different ways. Some of them could be through good books, good people, our scriptures, the Yehona, you know, church articles. And it could also be other individuals that are members of the church where we can gain good things. And likewise, bad things can, have, can come to us in the guise of, of false prophets, of false Christs, uh, people trying to take advantage of, not necessarily because they're a member of the church, will they also be pure and have good intentions? And so it's kind of letting us know that you have to judge these things wisely and consider the fountain where they come from, consider their source, their motive, and consider how it impacts your life. Does this make your life better? Does it give you more hope? Does it help you believe in Christ? Does it make it easier to follow the commandments? Then it's probably a good thing. If it throws things into question, if it creates doubts, if it starts building resentment, if it shakes your confidence, either in yourself or in others, it's probably not a good source. Yeah, um, I, I think that also goes, it also helps us understand like how to temper ourselves or how to moderate ourselves also, because something might start out being very very good being very very positive like let's say i just uh, I, I get a calling in my ward and i really didn't want to magnify it that's great and I'm, I'm doing an awesome job but then it becomes a thing where it's taking over every single night of my life and i'm not spending time with my family and i'm telling my family you know what i don't have time for you i have to go and serve the people and it's like okay this has now turned from something that would have been good or was good it was promoting uh peace and and love and faith and hope and charity and now it's kind of going over the top right shooting beyond the mark a little bit you're now getting to the point where it's maybe not that good and so it, it i think it helps this judgment isn't just this is good this is bad but also like to what degree are we doing it the way that the lord would want us to do it because there are some things that i think inherently are good but we could make them become uh, detrimental in our lives as well and i'm not just saying callings i mean there's a lot of different things sports you know exercise is generally good but if it becomes your entire life where you start to neglect other things then maybe it's bad you know eating healthy food is good but if you only eat apples and you eat 100 apples a day that's probably not or, great you know or or you do things that are good to spite others or to set yeah. yourself above them or to show someone else how wrong they are you know it also comes back to that we have to check ourselves that's why i like verse 16 where it speaks about the spirit of christ is given to every man and woman and child that he may know good from evil wherefore i show unto you the way to judge for everything that invited to do good and persuaded to believe in Christ is sent forth by the power and the gift of Christ. 
Um, wherefore ye may know with a perfect knowledge it is of God. And and that's I mean that's pretty definite if it you we're talking about like an acid test here. He's saying if you do this correctly, you'll know with a perfect knowledge if something is something you should continue to do, something that is coming from and then in seventeen, but whatsoever thing persuades men to do evil and believe not in Christ and deny him and serve not God. And I and I for me those those words made me think of um, something that makes you think you can do it on your own. Right? Trust in your strength. Trust. Yeah. And, and that's not to say you shouldn't strive to be strong. You shouldn't strive to be resilient. You shouldn't strive to have grit and overcome things. But there's there's one type of strength that is that enables you to become stronger and be be mindful in in and follow the Lord and understand and have gratitude for his help. And there's another kind of strength that it's kind of like in spite of everything, I'm gonna I've done this on my own. Um and you become kind of your own savior in a way. Yeah, I think in, in verse eight it talks a lot about that intent, right? That it well, starting in verse six. Behold, God hath said, A man being evil cannot do that which is good. For if he offer, offereth a gift, or prayeth unto God, except he shall do it with real intent, and profiteth him nothing. For behold, it is not counted unto him for righteousness. For behold, if a man being evil giveth a gift, he doeth it, he doeth it, he doeth it grudgingly. Wherefore, it is counted unto him the same as if he had retained the gift. Wherefore, he is counted evil before God. I think really what he's saying there is, there are ways to appear to do good, but your intent is evil, or at very best is grudgingly giving something, you know? Ugh, gosh, my tithing. Ugh, fine, here's my money, you know? It's like, it doesn't benefit you, you at all. You might as well either. keep it. Yeah. If you're going to be doing it like that, you might as well not even pay it, because it's not going to help you. It's not going to, it's you won't the, get blessings. It's the widow's might. <laughs> In the Pharisees, right? They would go yeah. and dump their bags of coins in the in the offering well. I think it was a well. I don't know. And then the widow would just throw in a mite, and it was all she could do, right? And one was counted as having done the best and been righteous. And the and then that's it comes back to the Lord's metrics for success are very different than ours and the ones the world chooses to put up. Very. I like how in verse 18, it says, um, And now, my brethren, seeing that ye know the light by which ye may judge, which light is the light of Christ, see that ye do not judge wrongfully, for with the same judgment which ye judge, ye shall also be judged. And that's kind of a scary thought, because <laughs> what it's kind of saying is if you tend to jump to conclusions, if you tend to uh, dismiss people, not consider all the evidence, or not give people the benefit of the doubt. It's going to be really hard for you when you are exposed, when you stand and there's no excuse for your behavior, for you to then plead for mercy when you haven't given mercy and forgiveness to others, you know? And also there's the other aspect when if you judge good things to be bad and bad things to be good, because it's more convenient or it feels better or it's more popular, then you are going to find that you think you're great, but you're not. No, yeah, I think when it comes down to 
that kind of judgment. I he he said this several times throughout the scriptures. You will be judged according to what you know, and he does reiterate that um, later in in this as well. You'll be judged according to what you the information you've had access to, but also you'll be judged according to the way that you judged other people. No matter what, if you're not following the commandments a hundred percent, I don't trust you. That's the way you're going to be treated too. And so, as long as you know that, <laughs> I there's, think it's there's okay. also a very similar symptom or type of judgment that's become very common is you've made one mistake, you're irredeemable. Yeah. Like you you cannot change. You you know lock you up forever. You know throw away the key, and it's like that's very dangerous because. <laughs> Are, like King Benjamin says, are we all beggars? Don't we all rely on the same being? And, and also, I think you'll be a happier person by judging wisely, by learning to forgive, by cultivating these Christ-like attributes. He's also giving us this advice, not because he knows everything is going to go well. There's going to be times where we're going to be surrounded, or we, one, we should be honest, and we should be disciples of Christ. But there may also be people that are trying to manipulate, misinform, you know. And then there's also going to be people that you could overlook because you deem them or you're judging them incorrectly, where they have great talents or can add great um, insight and great friendships in your life, you know. And that's, it's all easier said than done. Yeah, going back to what he talks about, you know, good coming from good and evil coming from evil. I wish it were that clear all the time in our normal lives to be able to just look at something and say, you know, I think that that's going to be bad. So it probably comes from a bad source or it comes from a bad source. It, it Sometimes you almost have to live with it for a little bit before you realize what the outcomes are and whether it's good or bad. And a lot of times I think instead of admitting we've made a poor decision and that we've decided to do something that maybe isn't in our best interest, um, we tend to double down and tend to say, no, it's it's actually not bad because, and we want to justify it because we don't want to admit I've made a, I've made a terrible decision or I've made a decision that could have gone a different way. Um, <laughs> we don't like to admit when we're wrong. That's one of my favorite things to do <laughs> is not admit and find a way that makes makes it so I don't have to change. Right. You know? And and so sometimes either we're doubling down on it or we've lived with it for so long that we don't realize how bad of an influence it is on us. And I think really early detection of this type of thing is the biggest helping. Uh, and I think if, we, if we're paying attention to the Spirit and we're asking about different things in prayer, we'll have a, a clearer guidance. But also... If you start to feel confusion, if it's bringing contention, if it's causing you to have anger, if those are the outcomes of of that influence, it's better to identify that early on. To say, you know what, if it's making me feel like this, this yeah. is not from God. Well, it's that's like the ultimate test, though, is is what it does to you, to your spirit, and to your faith, because there's a lot of Bad things wrapped in really good shiny wrapping and sold as really good things. Yep. But they're not. 
And then there's also things that we choose not to we overlook because it doesn't it's not shiny. It's not this. And that's where it really gets to me in verse 24. Well, in 22, it's kind of interesting because he, he's almost laying down the first discussion here. Or <laughs> now this would be the third one. I don't know how they've changed them now. But it says, for God knowing all things, meaning he knows what's happening. He knows what we're going to need. Being from everlasting to everlasting, behold, he sent his angels to minister unto the children of men, to make manifest concerning the coming of Christ. And in Christ there should come every good thing. And God also declared unto prophets by his own mouth that Christ should come. And behold, they were diverse ways that he did manifest things unto the children of men. And I really like that sentence right there. There were, there are many ways by which he communicates to us, by which he gets these messages. One, because it's not a one-size-fits-all gospel. It's a personalized, personalized gospel with a personal Savior who atoned for your sins. He didn't atone for everybody. He atones for everyone individually, which is very different leadership style than the earth is used to, you know, that, that we're used to in, in our world today, right? And then he says, um, do, 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 we're good. All things which were good cometh of Christ, otherwise men were fallen. And there could could no good thing come unto them. And so the way he beckons us through prophets and, and scriptures and gives us opportunities throughout all humanity, but in particularly in our lives today, we are so blessed because we have prophets, apostles, and all sorts of technology where you, just as you can be inundated with bad signals and bad messages, you can also choose to be inundated with Good signals and good messages. So just as one side is is really bad and, and appears very powerful and the other side is equally there if we choose it to be an even more powerful. You know what I mean? It's like Yeah. Um, well, and I think that the more you choose, it's kind of like the the closer you get to the Lord, the more you can see your weaknesses. The the more you choose to follow and to associate with good things the easier it is to detect when something bad comes along, when something detrimental to your spirit comes along. Because you're like, whoa, that feels very different than what I'm used to. This does not feel right. And so kind of getting in that, in that habit of associating with good things and identifying good things and pursuing those things will help you to be able to identify when something bad comes along. And you'll be able to avoid it easier. I feel like a lot of times our immediate feeling is good. You know, if it's a, a job or some sort of transaction where you're going to make a lot of money, you feel really great about that. Well, this is going to be excellent. But then you start to experience some of the other side effects of it. Maybe it's the instant gratification, right, is good. But then in the long run, the fruits of that are not. And so I think when you when you affiliate yourself with good things and you try to surround yourself with good influence that reinforces the spirit of God, when those types of things come along, it's easy to identify when it starts to go bad and disassociate from it. But like you said, because because good comes from so many places, we shouldn't discount when good things come from somewhere unexpected too. You know, we shouldn't just say, oh, that's not what I'm used to. Therefore, it must not be that good. No, it, it may be also from the Spirit of God. Be open to that. I, I often feel like Revelation follows a really good question. 
<laughs> and a really good question comes from observing and being curious. You look at so many examples with president, uh, prophet, president Joseph Smith, prophet, the prophet Joseph. I guess he would have been president as well. President Hinckley with the small temples, President Nelson. There's so many examples where they have a question. Hmm, that's interesting. And how is that planted? It's planted by interacting with others, by being aware of your surroundings, by realizing is there a better way of doing this? Well, you know, now that you ask, <laughs> now that you're ready, because. The Lord it does really good job of not giving us more than we are ready to receive. And if we feel that we are not uh, progressing as much as we would like, the question is then, what do I need to do to be prepared? And that's where it gets into this next section. Verses 25, 26, 27, 28, 29. He's kind of continues kind of breaking down the how God interacts with his children. He sends ministering angels and in 26, men also are saved by faith in the name of Christ, you know, and, and, they be, and uh, surely as Christ has spoken his words, whatsoever thing you should ask the Father in my name, which is good, having faith in me. And then in 27, I really like, wherefore, my beloved brethren, have miracles ceased because Christ has ascended into heaven and has sat down in the right hand of God to claim of the Father his, his rights of mercy, which he has upon the children of men. So he's kind of saying, has the work ceased? Has Christ moved on? Has he retired? Has he done? <laughs> you know? yeah. And in 20, he says, for he had answered the ends of the law. He has completed what he was sent out to do. Yep. And he claim, claimeth all those who have faith in him. And they who have faith him, in him will cleave unto every good thing. Wherefore, he advocateth the cause of the children of men, and he dwelleth eternally in the heavens. So he's saying, Christ came and carried out the atonement and fulfilled all the measures of the law, which then allow him to deal out mercy and allows him to claim those who believe in him and follow his gospel. And is he done? No, he's continuously pleading our case and kind of our advocate always. And then in 29, it says, and because he has done this, my beloved brethren, have miracles ceased. Behold, I say unto you, nay, neither have angels ceased to minister unto the children of men. So we're seeing that this cycle continues. And you can go from here, what kind of miracles? What kind of ministry? Well, go back and read verse 24 and 25. Continuously speaking to prophets, sending his messages out. You know, and, and in 34, behold, they are subject unto him to minister according to the word. So he's talking about the angels. What do they do? What do good saints do? People that have passed. What is Moroni doing? What is Mormon doing? What are your grandparents doing? What are, they're continuously ministering to others in, you know, in the spirit world and all that stuff. You know, it's just like, he's just, I don't know. I just think, I, I would love to be Mormon and be like, all right, play it back to me. Tell me this. Because it's like, there's just so much feeling he's writing in here to say, you're not abandoned. You have well, been given enough information, no good from evil. So pursue good. And as you pursue good, it's going to get really good for you. And in verse 32, he says, and by so doing, which he's talking about the angels ministering, our ancestors on the other side of the veil. He's all these things that they're working on. The Lord prepareth the way that the residue of men may have faith in Christ. Those of us who are still on earth may have faith in Christ, that the Holy Ghost may have place in their hearts according to the power thereof. And after this manner bringeth Ask the Father the commandments which he hath made unto the children of men. And Christ has said, If ye will have faith in me, ye shall have power to do whatsoever thing is expedient in me. 
So he's saying, because he has done his part, because Christ fulfilled the atonement, because there are ministering angels, because there is work being done on the other side of the veil, those of us who are still here, if we have faith, we can do anything that the Lord requires. There, there are no limitations to what we can do. And thankfully, it's not 100% dependent on us, right? Because most of us lack the skill or ability or knowledge to just carry out anything that he asks us to do. But he's basically saying, look, if you have faith and willingness to follow, and you're heeding the call to serve, I will make sure that all of these things work in your favor to help you carry out whatever I've asked you to do. And I think that a lot of times we feel burdened by the amount of things that we're asked to do. Uh, raise a family properly. Uh, do family history. Um, preach the gospel to all the world. You know, it's like, how am I going to do all of this? But what he's saying is if you have faith and you have willingness to serve, all of these other mechanisms that are still in effect will help you accomplish whatever I've asked you to do. And that is, yeah. is so empowering because it lets you know that through faith, all is possible. Well, he, he also, we get here towards the end of verse 7, and we start seeing the triple, the triple threat combo here. <laughs> faith, hope, and charity, you know? Yep. And I feel, for me, my, my, my opinion of faith is like, it's an experiment, we're told. You give it a try. You, you use that initial light of Christ to see, this feels good. I am going to now be obedient to what I know now. As you try it out and as you act correctly and follow that commandment, you begin to feel a testimony that it's good and it's true. And then you have to have hope. And hope is like when you realize how much more you need to learn and how many other deficiencies you have, hope says, I'm going to carry on in this path. It's going to only get better from here. And even though I feel my nature, I, I've changed in some ways, I see the deficiency, I'm going to have hope that this path, these teachings, that Christ can and will make me whole. And then charity is, as I look at others, they are somewhere along this path. I cannot begrudge them, teach them, uh, um, treat them poorly, or think myself greater than them. And as I help them, and as I partner with them, or let them help me, and accept them, their love, and give love to them, I myself continue to become refined. Like, I'm not going to judge them. I'm going to have this kindness towards them. Even those that aren't following the gospel, because I know what it's like not to know something, and all of a sudden know it, and how much I regret that I wish I would have known it sooner. And so when I see them that they don't know, instead of casting them off, I think, oh, if you could only know, how can I help you know? So then you can feel that feeling that, I, that I've had from not knowing to knowing something. And it's so hard to explain all of that. You know what I mean? <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, and, that, and that's what I feel is charity. And that's what Christ does. He takes all of us who are down here just getting all sorts of, in all sorts of trouble. And he says, I know what you can become. I know once you realize the correct way, you will love the correct way. Yeah. So even though right now you're not doing correct things, I'm going to be patient. 
I'm going to forgive you. How many times? Seven times seven, you know. If you offend me, uh, instead of retaliating, I'm going to turn the other cheek. If you want me to walk with you a mile, I'm going to go two miles with you. Just to show you I'm here for you, you know. And that's that's the thing is this the gospel becomes to be this well, this everlasting spring that continually satisfies our doubts, our fears, mistakes. And as we use it, we can answer those things and we can continue to progress. And that's where you need the faith. Faith to continue to, as you gain new knowledge, experiment with it. Be obedient and then know and, and turn it from something you hope for that is true to something you know. And as you see that process, you have hope that there's going to be something else coming. And I'm going to prepare myself to grow a little bit more next time I know something more. Or I see deficiencies in the world. How can this ever, sometimes we can be in a part of our life where we say to ourselves, how can this story ever turn out right? Prophets say we're going to win at the end. The crisis, but but right now I look at this and I look at that and I see this on the news. And, it, and you can feel, and that's where that hope comes that, darn it, I'm going to hope. Well, and in verse, let's see. In verse 42, uh, he says, Wherefore, if a man have faith, he must needs have hope, for without faith there can be no hope. And again, behold, I say unto you, he cannot have faith and hope. Say, see, he shall be meek and lowly of heart. If so, his faith and hope is in vain, for none is acceptable before God save the meek and lowly in heart. And if a man be meek and lowly in heart and confess by the power of the Holy Ghost that Jesus is the Christ, he must needs have charity. For if he have not charity he is nothing wherefore he must needs have charity i think what this means to me is that you can go you can have faith you can follow things you can have hope in the future that your faith will bring forth good things but if you don't start turning that outward towards others it doesn't really do you a whole lot of good if it's just all about me i have faith i have hope about my future and that things will turn out well for me that's great, but if you have those things, you, sh you need to begin to turn outward. You need to look at others. You need to think about how, how can I bring this, this uh, faith and hope to others? And what he means by meek and lowly, because lowly makes it sound like, like, like not good. That sounds negative. Sad. Yeah, kind lowly in heart. But what it means is it's not braggadocious. It's not full of itself. It's not conceited, right? Which a lot of times, if you have faith and you have hope and you see things are going to be good, you're like, oh, sweet, then I'm taken care of. I don't know about you, but I'm taken care of. Yeah. At, least I'm, at least I'm good. So, so here in verse 8, chapter 8, I mean, and this was really interesting. Because in verse 2, he says, My beloved son Moroni, I rejoice exceedingly that your Lord Jesus Christ has been mindful of you and hath called you to his ministry into his holy work. Verse 2 and 3 really stuck out to me because verse 2 kind of says, Mormon did not choose his son. <laughs> Christ chose Moroni. You know? And his, and his father is just saying, I am so grateful that you have been worthy and that you have this opportunity, right? Which, which to me kind of solidified that Christ is active in here. This isn't, sometimes we see the record being passed down from one, and the, and the record passes down as like, almost like as an, an administrative task. 
<laughs> but the choosing of these prophets was Jesus Christ, you know? Um, and in three, I, I often think, like, what it would it be like to have a father like this? Or to have a savior say this to you. I am mindful of you always in my prayers, continuously praying unto God the Father in the name of Jesus, of his holy child, Jesus, that he through his infinite goodness and grace will keep you through and endure endurance of faith on his name to the end. And I was like, wow. Like, and, and where does where does Mormon get the knowledge or get learn to love his son in this way? Where did he learn from the Savior, right? Where did all these good things, we have already established that all good things come from Christ. So all, when you see someone being excellent or showing an abundance of love where they're willing to sacrifice for someone else, where does that come from? It comes from our Father in Heaven and our, you know, our eternal family and, and from the example. And all of those good things are eternal feelings, you know, and, and kind of what we're going to go through here is like, how do we maintain that? How do we become that? Yeah, and then he, he starts going into, you know, there's disputations going on among everyone. And he kind of points out, I mean, it gets pretty pretty crazy in here about, I think in the next chapter, about what kind of disputations there are beyond just this chapter. Because in this one, he's talking about um, baptizing of little children. Yeah. And it's interesting that he would focus so much on this. I suspect that these letters were, uh, these epistles from father to son were more common than we get to see. Because really, we, we get the sermon in the last chapter, we get this epistle in this one. But I think maybe he was probably writing to his son to give him counsel about different topics, you know, of doctrine. And this one we get actually written into the Book of Mormon. And I think it's because it's so important to know exactly why it is that baptizing children is not necessary. Basically saying, and I think, I can't remember which verse it is, uh, but it's... Verse 12? It, no, it's later on in, in the chapter where he says, basically, it's not just children, it's anyone who does not have the law. Um, 22, for behold, that all little children are alive in Christ, and also all they who are without the law. Yeah. For the power of redemption cometh to all. See, I think, I've always thought this was just about little children. Uh, this verse, which it is, and it's just as meaningful because a child cannot make this covenant with purpose. And right. we began this whole epistle section on doing things with real intent and purpose. And if you don't do them with purpose, it doesn't count. And then we get to children and they become kind of like a symbol of someone not knowing better. We choose to condemn them. And and I like... Um, Verse 15, where he says, For awful is the wickedness to suppose that God saveth one child because of baptism, and the other must perish because he had no baptism. And that's something to think about. Because one, we know baptism is absolutely important and essential. So how does this, this verse and this counsel fit and coincide with that? It must then tell us that baptism must be done on purpose. It must be done by your own free will. 
And when it's done in that way, it's a great blessing. That's why we do a baptismal interview, right? Right. A baptismal interview isn't so much like a, a final exam to see if you know everything to be baptized. In fact, when I was a missionary and I would do the baptismal interview for a new convert, there were a lot, oftentimes when I would come out of there saying, yeah, you know what, they don't know all the answers. But that doesn't mean they shouldn't be baptized. They have the intent. They have the desire. And they'll learn. They'll learn everything there is to know. All of these basic things, they'll be fine. They didn't know all the answers, but they do have a testimony, and they do have the, the real intent. And you can feel that because the Spirit shows you. This person maybe doesn't know uh, right off the bat the names of all 12 apostles, you know. <laughs> yeah. But that doesn't matter. Their intent and their desire to follow Christ is there. And I think... And- and they'll yeah. continue to grow, you know? Yeah. He knows that if you're on the path, it doesn't matter if you're on step one or you're step a thousand. He just wants you on the path. Yep. And if you do it with real intent, you'll get to step a thousand, you know? You'll get up there. And that's not a worry. But we act as if if I'm if I'm not at 50 or if I'm not uh, 10 steps higher than this other person who was baptized last week, you know, you know, we, we're the ones that introduce this comparison and this hierarchy. And one thing in verse 16, oh man, it's like (laughs) if we have to be so careful that we look at covenants and commandments through the eyes, through that prism of faith, hope, and charity. If we don't do that, then verse 16 is a big warning to us because he's speaking to members. He's speaking to people who know better. He's not speaking to such and such church or whatever. Well, he, in some cases, yeah, I mean, but he's speaking to those who profess to follow him. And he says, woe be unto them that shall pervert the ways of the Lord after this manner. What manner is that? Is you start beating people up with the covenants and commandments and, and changing their meaning and their original intent and not looking through things through the eye of faith, hope, and charity. For they shall perish except they repent. Behold, I speak with boldness having authority from God, and I fear not what man can do, for perfect love chases out fear. And I am filled with charity, which is everlasting love, wherefore all children are alike unto me, wherefore I love little children with a perfect love, and they are all alike and partakers of salvation. And if if Christ is saying this about children, and then later on he says, this does not only apply to children, but it also applies to those that don't have a law. Knowing that in the previous verses, he's told us he calls prophets, he calls angels, and he does various ways of getting the gospel and the message. But because of our decisions and our desire, we cause our children and other generations to suffer without the gospel because we either didn't pass it on or we fell into apostasy. And should they have to pay for our mistakes? And he's saying no. He's saying I love them with a perfect love. And they are all alike, and they will have an opportunity, you know. And then in verse 8, For I know that God is not a partial God, neither a changeable being, but he is unchangeable from all eternity to eternity. Little children cannot repent. Wherefore, it is awful It is awful wickedness to deny the pure mercies of God unto them, for they are all alike unto him because of his mercy. And then that also lets us know that repentance isn't just an action. It's an intention. It's a purposeful intention. Just as you can't accidentally do something wrong, you can't sin if if you don't really know, like a child, you know, they, they can repeat, like a child, 
repeats a bad word they heard on a movie and they're three years old. They don't know. Just like that, you they can't do something great when they also don't know. You know, they're innocent. And it's kind of that state in the Garden of Eden. You're innocent until you know good from evil and you can choose one or the other and be enticed and you know all the reasons why. And in then mind, it's counted to you. Yeah. In my mind, this is in many ways a perfect example of charity from the Lord. Because he's looking at these children and he's saying, yes, there are rules and laws and, you know, we can't break the the rules upon which the gospel is predicated. But it goes back to chapter 5, the famous verse, in, or chapter 7, I mean, the famous verse 45. And charity suffereth long and is kind and envieth not and is not puffed up. Seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. He is having those feelings towards these children, kind feelings, not not envying, not being puffed up, not saying, you know what, you got to do what you got to do to be saved. And if you didn't do it, then tough beans. You know, he's saying, you know what, there's situations in which uh, these kids, they they cannot make decisions based on uh, right and wrong when they have not experienced what is right and what is wrong yet. And so as a result, they're saved. They're protected. It's almost like the opposite of charity to condemn them. Right. You know, and, and that's what that's why so much of these verses here are so heavy on charity, like because you have to allow the process to work for them and you cannot have or cultivate feelings that you're the one dealing out this judgment like that they, they cannot change like they can't repent or or they're if if they don't do this one thing that's not up to us it's we're not the lord we're not the keeper of the gate we're not the judge here we are to love each other and by thinking that we can deal out that kind of judgment or thinking that we can write people off we're actually harming our own soul so much that we're told that if you don't have charity nothing else you do matters nothing no other attribute no other thing can compensate for you misapplying the gospel and the love of christ and not having that in your heart while we've spent countless of stories being told you should do this you should pray often you should and you should do all those things so you can gain the love of Christ and become like him. It, it's way more than actions. That's why it's kind of like, that's why I love these chapters. It's all about, it's way more than just the appearance of things. It's impossible to identify someone's intent sometimes. The only one who really knows your intent is God. And we should assume the best of people. We should assume that they're doing it with good, real intent um, and let God be the one that judges whether that's the case or not. But I think what you're looking at is <laughs> we, we can't be caught judging or, or lacking charity for other people when they're doing something by saying, oh, they're doing this just because they want clout or just because they want attention or just because they... Let God be the one deciding to decide whether this is done with the proper intent or not. Give them the yeah. benefit of the doubt. And that goes back to the judge. You'll be judged how you judge, right? right. Uh, people will look at you and say, maybe you're doing it because you just want attention or because you want 
to be looked at as this great person. Um, it's almost, it's interesting as far as like, if our leader, if our Lord, if our God is willing to die for that person that you hate, what is his expectation of you towards them? What does he want you? If you may not become best buds, but he at least wants you not to be toxic. He at least wants you to let the plan work for them. And and don't dis don't discredit or don't don't at least don't throw obstacles in their way. You know? Yeah. And it's like we are so busy chucking obstacles left and right most of the time, at least the world is, you know, where we're trying to climb some sort of hierarchy ladder of perceived worth. And what Christ says is, if you want to be the greatest, be the servant. And and we we always, even his apostles get caught up in like, which one, when we get up there, which one of us is like <laughs> a little better than the other? And these are good people. And if it happens to them, then we better darn right be checking ourselves all the time and thinking about that and saying, you know what? Uh, you know, it's, and that's, I mean, Okay, last last two verses in this chapter, and I promise, there's just a lot here. I mean, verse 25 <laughs> and 26 of chapter 8, where it says, The first fruits of repentance is baptism, and baptism coming by faith unto the fulfilling of the commandments. And the fulfilling of the commandments bringeth forth the remission of sins. And the remission of sins bringeth, forth, bringeth meekness and loneliness of heart. And because of meekness and loneliness of heart cometh the visitation of the Holy Ghost. Which comforter filleth with hope and perfect love, which love endureth with diligence unto prayer, unto, until the end shall come when all the saints shall dwell with God. He basically just gave us the recipe right there. The baptism is a covenant. As we make a decision, a covenant, a promise, an agreement, that I want to follow, I want to be good, I want to do what's right. And then as we follow the commandments, as we do fulfill our agreement, as we do what we agree, we are forgiven. You know, and as we are forgiven and we feel that weight and guilt lifted off of us, we then can't help but to be meek and realize how great the Lord is and how much we need him and our dependency on him. And as we feel that meekness and humility, the Holy Ghost comes and fills us with love. Changes our perspective. And once we have that love, we continue to pray. And for me, in this prayer means you continue to have a self-inventory with the Lord. You continue to, and he continues to coach you until you are full and you can dwell with God. Those two verses are like a mini plan of salvation <laughs> recipe, like guide that I really liked. Well, and, and it shows that enduring to the end is not complicated but it's not passive you know it's not something that's super complex that you have to jump through all these hoops in order to obtain salvation but it is not also just sit there and wait it is a an active uh process but what you were saying about you know um putting things in each other's way and and getting and judging people for what they're doing and ca causing division kind of leads us to chapter nine, because we can see what the ultimate effect of division and contention 
The opposite of charity, right? And anger, yeah, ends up being. Uh, my gosh, these people have really gone as far as you can possibly go to the evil. And and it's just pure, it's driven by pure hatred for one another. And the lack of attention on faith, hope, and charity has caused these people to resort to the worst, most extreme methods of really... Uh, it's basically lowering their opposition to the lowest form they can. Maybe 18 also. Oh, the depravity of my people. They're without order and without mercy. Behold, I am but a man, and I have but the strength of a man, and I can, cannot any longer enforce my commands. And they have become strong in their perversion, and they are alike brutal, sparing none, neither old nor young, and they delight in everything save that which is good. And the suffering of our women and our children upon the face of this land doth exceed everything. Yea, tongue cannot tell, neither can it be written. I don't know. I read this as a warning. I read this as a huge, tremendous red flag. And I think right now what we need in our society and the world more than anything is to remember to have faith in God first, have hope that that will bring a bright future, and in the meantime, have charity towards one another first, before trying to be right, before trying to be confirmed as the one with the right ideas or the right, you know, it doesn't matter sometimes because yeah, we're not to the level of the Nephites and Lamanites here. We're not murdering each other and feeding each other to each other. Right. But, but we, we may are. never get to that point, but we are being so brutal sometimes in our, in our attacks to each other, in our dismissing of each other. And we're, that's not charity. That's the opposite. Well, we're also told that, Christ in the New Testament tells us, "Hey, you, you've heard, you've been told, thou shalt not kill, but I tell you, if thou call thy brother Raka or whatever, or or have anger with him, you're in trouble, you know, and and you've been told thou shalt not commit adultery, but if you seek in your heart, that's just as bad, right? Well, I don't know, but it's bad, right?" We're not going to wake up tomorrow and have this level of violence and complete breakdown of society. But when you start down that road, we know that Satan doesn't go straight to the worst sin. He starts you with little things and little things become acceptable and then bigger things. And then those become acceptable. And before long, I mean, he even says in a matter of years, they went from being a delightsome people to being these horrible hate-mongering people. Yeah, I, I think it's an interesting teaching that it begins kind of with your intentions. You cannot do the right thing. Even if you do the right action, if your intention isn't right, it doesn't profit you anything. To now warning us that all of these terrible things, and in verse 23, if they... And if they perish, it will be like unto the Jaredites because of the willfulness of their hearts seeking for blood and revenge. So in our day, we may not straight out be fighting and killing each other and drinking each other's blood and whatnot. But if in our hearts we have these feelings, what righteousness we do will not be accounted as righteous. And it so we should be, nothing, it says in the previous verses. Yeah. It, it, we should be very careful, especially us of the church that need to be the example. We need to be the salt of the earth. We need to be 
the peacemakers, the Christ-like individuals. If we're out there throwing wood on the fire, <laughs> it's not necessarily, we just need to be careful. You know, we need to be mindful and we need to really be honest with ourselves. What are my intentions here? And if I am, because there are times to correct. There's a time to correct. There's a time to speak up. There's a time to stand up and say enough is enough. But you need to be very wise. And that's why it says you have to judge carefully. And part of that judgment is, is my action in accordance with the brethren, with what they've asked of me, with me representing the church, representing the Lord, and, and being a disciple of Christ? And am I fulfilling the duties the, which I have primary responsibility for? Or am I chasing things that are secondary or, or even tertiary responsibilities at the expense of what my primary responsibility is? I also think it's interesting that in verse 21 and 22, I said, Behold, my son, I cannot recommend them unto God lest he should smite me. <laughs> so he's saying they are so bad. I cannot, in an essence, recommend them to God. But then he says, But behold, my son, I recommend thee unto God, and I trust in Christ that thou will be saved. So we can also insert ourselves here. If at times we can feel like we're Moroni Mormon, surrounded by all these wickedness, he says, even if you're surrounded, even if others are not doing what's right, I trust in Christ that thou will be saved. And I pray unto God that he will spare thy life to witness the return of his people unto him or their utter destruction. For I know that they must perish except they repent and return to him. So his hope still, I hope that they change. But the reality is they probably won't. Well, and he's yeah. saying while there is a time to, like you said, kind of stand up and, and say, you know what, God has no tolerance for sin and iniquity. And if I want to be on that side, I also need to maybe stand up and say, this is not acceptable. We can't do this with this, you know. But remember when we were reading earlier, I can't remember which exact verse it was. In the previous chapters, it said something like, vengeance is the Lord's. It's not your responsibility to take out righteous vengeance on someone. That's science not your camp job. all over again. This is science camp all over again. <laughs> it's not your job. Your job is to have faith, hope, and charity for others. Your job is to live the best way you can, identify the good things that have a good outcome, and push those ideas. And anything that's contrary to charity, anything that's, you know, seeking blood and revenge, if that's the will of your heart. But, but, it, but it's illegal. But they broke the law. Sometimes that's how we think, but it's wrong. Yeah. They shouldn't act that way. Somebody needs to, th and what is Christ? Was it not illegal? Everything that happened to him? Was he not their king? You know? Yep. Isn't all this that's happening with Moroni and Ephah all against all their laws and establishment, their whole government is falling apart around them? <laughs> you know? I think sometimes we think, like, we find these excuses, but that's wrong. And it's like, yeah, but you should forgive them anyway. And I know that this is hard. <laughs> this is hard for everybody, and that's why it's not. It's uh, that's why it requires us to have faith and charity and love, and to cultivate those things. So when we are come across those moments, we can we can rise up to the occasion, you know. And and even Moroni, he says in the previous verse, I think it was in chapter five or six. He says, "And I know that has prepared a place where men can have a more excellent hope." 
Yeah. So he's even saying, even after all of this, we know that this is not the end state. You know, this is, we will, there's a, yeah, anyway. We just have to, we just have to endure it the best way possible, which is, like I was saying, it's pushing ideas of charity, pushing ideas of faith and hope, and rejecting ideas of, of contention and dissension and hate. You're going to have feelings. I, I recently have had feelings of really strong contention. And I've had to say, you know what? I can't, I can't live in this, in this brine. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn sour. I'm going to... Well, it's, not good. it's normal to feel those things. Sure. It's the, the, the task is staying, getting out of there. Just yep. like it's normal to have temptations, to have bad thoughts. But it's like, do you choose to then make a play out of it and make a whole entire production? And then that will lead you to bad actions. Or do you just, oh, I got to move out of here. I got to move. And the better you get at that, the better, the easier it becomes. But if every single time you're just like, man, I can't believe that guy cut me off. I mean, I mean, I could have done this. I should have done that. I, man, I hope you know. I, I, I hope that was a nicey patchy hit on that off ramp. You know, you, you can go down a road where it's like, okay, you're almost like a murderer in your heart at this point. You yeah. know, and you don't even know it, and that becomes normal, and that's a new norm for you. And then you're upset. Why? Why is the, everything so negative? Why can I be? You know, why am I not happy? You know, it's like well, it kind of begins with what are you entertaining? Are you using the light of Christ to follow and uh, uh, identify good things, and then head down that path and 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 increase the good things in your life? The Book of Mormon is truly the keystone of our religion, and that a man and woman will get nearer to God by abiding by its precepts than by any other book. And if you then go and do what he would have you do, your power to trust him will grow. And in time, you will be overwhelmed with gratitude to find that he has come to trust you. There is no end to the good we can do, to the influence we can have with others. Let us not dwell on the critical or the negative. Let us pray for strength. Let us pray for capacity and desire to assist others. Let us radiate the light of the gospel at all times and in all places that the Spirit of the Redeemer may radiate from us. My dear brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ invites us to take the covenant path back home to our heavenly parents and be with those we love. He invites us to come, follow me.